I'm uh, glad to be here this morning. When you get my age, you're glad to be anywhere. I've been looking over the congregation, and I've been watching folks coming in, and more and more of you are familiar to me. I recognize a lot of your faces, and so you're looking better and better and better to me. I'm kind of like the, uh, uh, the woman who was in the rest home, and uh, she started uh, staring at an old guy there. And a little while, he said, woman, said, what are you looking at me for? And she said, you look just like my third husband. He said, well, how many husbands have you had? She said, two. <laughs> so uh, you folks are looking better and better. Of course, Brother Ed and Jan, I've known them all through the years. And then uh, Keith and Renee Palmer are here. And I have a special relationship with them. They were over there in the Jacksonville. Uh, Keith got saved over there. Uh, my wife, uh, Janet, and Mrs. Lindsay visited them one time. And Keith was out in the yard cutting the grass, and that old pagan wouldn't even stop and speak to him, but, but Renee, she was always sweet, she was real sweet, but anyhow, uh, Keith got saved uh, from his Toyota place to church one night, we were in a revival meeting, and he said he was afraid that if he didn't uh, accept the Lord right then, that he'd have wreck and die and go to hell, and so Keith uh, is no longer a pagan, he's a believer, and was a member of our uh, finance committee. Uh, over there in Jacksonville, so it's good to see them and a lot of you who I have seen. One uh, man came and told me that he was saved when I was here at Dolphin Way, and um, that was a great encouragement to me as well. In uh, 1974, I came to be the pastor here at uh, Dolphin Way Baptist Church, and uh, the first Sunday I was here, they took me out to a country club here somewhere for a Sunday brunch, and uh, I met a a pastor here in town. Uh, he was growing hair and I was losing hair, and uh, his name was Fred Wolf. And so we formed a friendship at that time that has lasted to this very day. He's still growing hair and I'm still losing hair. But uh, we, he had sweeter deacons meetings than I did. That's what caused it. But uh, we, uh, we tried to eat together at least uh, once every year, and, and we have spent a lot of time together through the years. And uh, I remember one morning early uh, on a Monday morning, and you know on Monday morning, uh, preachers who really preach feel like a, an 18-wheeler has run over them. And so about 6 o'clock on a Monday morning, I called Brother Fred. I said, Fred, I got a problem. What is it, brother? I'll help you. You know, he's always going to help you with your problem. And so I, I said, I got a problem. I said, a, a woman in my church last night told me that she loved me. He said, oh, my goodness, that is a problem. I said, well, it's worse than that. She also kissed me. He said, oh, my brother, what a problem. Uh, she, she, wh who, who was she? I said, my wife, Janet. <laughs> he said, I'm going to come over there and whip you. <laughs> now, I know exactly why he has had this heart surgery. Uh, the Lord is getting back at him for something he did probably 30-something years ago at uh, the Southern Baptist Convention in Houston, Texas. He and some of my other friends decided that they were going to convince me I was having a heart attack. I was not feeling well and had made the mistake of telling some friends that I wasn't feeling well. And so then they began to come around and tell me how bad I looked and I was showing all of the symptoms of a heart attack. And so bottom line, they took me out to a hospital, a Sam Houston Hospital uh, in uh, Houston, Texas. And I went in there, you know, and they stripped me and put on that little gown they put on you that doesn't have enough cloth. And they put all those tubes on you and everything else. And this young 
this young uh, cardiologist came in. He said, you're probably the healthiest man I have ever examined. He said, there's nothing wrong with your heart. And I said, well, doctor, I know that's true, but uh, these guys just, you know, thought they wanted to do a little trick on me. I said, why, why don't we do a trick on them? He said, okay. And so he went out there, and there was Brother Fred and two or three of the other guys who'd driven me out there. And he said, now, which one of you knows his wife the best? And uh, Brother Fred said, well, I, I guess I do. He said, well, said, you need to go get her. We're going to have open-heart surgery on him at 6 o'clock in the morning. Well, old Fred just went into a state of panic, you know, and... And we all got back in the car, went back to the hotel, the Hyatt Regency there in Houston. And we had somebody had rented a car. And, uh, and so by the time we got back to the hotel, Brother Fred, as he normally does, had gone to sleep. And so he was dead to the world in the back seat, and we all got out. And it was one of those deals that when you close the door, they automatically lock. And so he woke up and couldn't get out of the car in the back. So he crawled into the front. And when he did, he got that door open, and then the alarms went off. And he came running into the hide, and there were bellhops running all over everywhere, trying to stop. So the Lord is getting him back (laughs) for what he did to me 30-something years ago. But I'm glad he's doing very, very well. I told him, I hope this time they put a zipper in, so if he has any more problems, they can unzip him, and it won't be quite as bad as uh, they say that has been. I've had a little heart surgery. Um, No, he had the heart surgery. I've had a little eye surgery, and it looks like maybe I'm seeing better than I have in 10 years. I'm probably going to have to wear uh, reading glasses, though, but I'm reading better. I'm, I'm able to read better than I have in a long, long time. And so you just pray for me that the Lord will continue to heal these eyes and that I'll have better vision than I've had in a long, long time. I want you to turn in your Bible now to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I want to read the first eight verses of that chapter, and then I want to share with you the message God has laid upon my heart for you this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's right before 2 Corinthians. I thought I'd drop a little deep theology on you before we start, but 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. I think you will agree with me this morning that we are living in a day of bad news. I was up in Florence, South Carolina last week, and when I went down to breakfast, every eye was riveted on the television set, and it was announcing the death of the noted singer Whitney Houston. They had her funeral yesterday. What a talent, what a tragedy, bad news. 
And then, of course, big news this week has been that Iran is threatening that if Israel strikes them, that they will retaliate not only against Israel, but they will also retaliate against American targets. We're living in a day of bad, bad news. I heard about a, uh, a TV repairman who was called by a lady out to look at her television to repair it for her. And so he looked at it and he examined it and he said, ma'am, he said, I can't find anything wrong. What's wrong with your television? And she said, well, look at that announcer there. Look at the long face of that announcer. And he said, ma'am, if you had to announce what he has to announce, you'd have a long face too. We're living in a world of bad news. Many times I find myself in these kinds of days reflecting on the country song Ann Murray did a few years ago. We sure could use a little good news today. And so that's why I'm glad I can stand before you this morning and do what the Apostle Paul does in the verses I have read, where Paul said, I declare unto you the gospel. Now, the word gospel, as you well know, means good news. It is a Greek word, euangelion, made of two words, really, angelos, which means messenger or message, and you, the little uh, preposition that means well. And so the gospel is good news. It has an interesting background. It was a military term, and uh, a village would be awaiting news from the uh, battlefield. Maybe they had had a series of, of bad messages that had come to them, and they were filled with anxiety. And suddenly a messenger would appear. He would raise his right arm, and he would say, Euangelion, rejoice, we have triumphed. And the village would rejoice. It was a message of good news. And so I'm real glad I can stand before you this morning. And I can tell you that I have some real good news for you. Now I've got to be honest about it. The good news also has some bad news. Attached to the good news there is, if we're true to Scripture and true to life, there's also some bad news. There's a mingling, really, of bad news and good news. I heard about a man went to the doctor, and the doctor said, uh, do you want to hear the good news first, or do you want to hear the bad news? He said, well, tell me the good news. He said, well, you've got only three weeks to live. He said, my, if that's a good news, what's the bad news? He said, I should have told you two weeks ago. He had good news, and he had bad news. I heard about a guy talking to a friend. He said, I got married. And his friend said, oh, that's good news. He said, no. Nah. said, it's bad. She's ugly. He said, oh, yeah, that's bad news. He said, oh, but it's not too bad. He said, she, she's rich. He said, oh, that's good. He said, well, no, nah, it's not. He said, she's stingy. He said, oh, that's bad. He said, well, but she built me a house. He said, oh, that's good news. He said, no, nah, it's bad. It burned down. He said, oh, that's bad news. He said, not bad. It's good. She was in it. And so, you see, there, there is some good news and there is some bad news. And in this Bible, which you and I hold in our hand this morning, there is the message of the good news about the bad news. Now, you see, here's what the bad news is. The bad news is, is that every one of us in this building this morning has two problems. Number one, we have the problem of sin. The Bible says all have sinned. The bad news that we are sinners. The second bad news is the bad news about death. It is the bad news that all of us are going to have to die. 
Paul put it this way in Romans 5, verse 12. He said, Wherefore, as by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, and so death by sin, so that all uh, uh, die because all have sinned. It is the bad news that we are sinners, and it is the bad news that we're going to die. Now, you see, the problem of human sin is a problem that uh, has been recognized since the Garden of Eden. Uh, we don't like to talk about it. We're living in a day today that has very little consciousness of personal sin. Uh, I read the uh, book, uh, Whatever Became of Sin, by Carl Menninger many years ago, the last of the great secular psychologists. And in that book, Dr. Menninger said this. He said, to say, I'm okay and you're okay in the face of human sin is to flit through life like a bluebird on a dung heap. All have sinned. The problem of sin. That's your problem this morning. That's my problem this morning. All of us have to wrestle. All of us have to come to grips with the problem of human sin. And then, of course, there is the problem of death. Uh, some of you might not, right now may be dealing with the death of a loved one. Uh, there's some of you who have lost your husband. You have lost your wife. And you are grieving over the death of that uh, precious one. And so you see, there is that problem of human sin, but there is also that problem of death. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Uh, old Woody Allen said, he said, it's not that I'm afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. But the truth of the matter is, all of us are going to be there. And so you see, the bad news is, is that all of us have sinned, we're all sinners, and the bad news is that all of us are going to have to die. What are you going to do in the moment of your death? Well, that's where the good news comes in. And that's where Paul lays out for us the good news of what God has done about our sin problem and what God has done about our death problem. Now, do you notice down in verses 3 and 4 in your Bible, Four times the scripture there uses the little word that, a little conjunction, that. You will notice he says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen. And in the use of that little conjunction, you will notice he wraps around that little phrase according to the scriptures. Two realities, two historical realities... The first one that has to do with the crucifixion of Christ. And the second one that has to do with the resurrection of Christ. You see, God's good news about the sin problem is the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice that first little phrase, and that Christ was buried. Brother Ed mentioned it this morning that Christianity is a relationship. Christianity is not another philosophy. It is not a, another set of rules. But Christianity is about a relationship with a real person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we know, of course, that Jesus was a divine person. He was God. The Bible says in John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Someone said Jesus is God spelling himself out in a language man can understand. And then in John 1.18 it says this, No man hath seen God at any time. 
the only begotten Son in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. And so, you see, Jesus is divine. He is called by His messianic name here, Christ. But not only is Christ divine, according to the Scriptures, Christ was also human. John 1.14 puts it this way, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, Jesus was born and He lived in this world. And so that means He understands us. He knows what we go through. Uh, Jesus knew what it was to be weary after a day of labor. Jesus knew what it was not to have the things He needed. He had nowhere to lay His head. Uh, Jesus saw blind people and He could sympathize with them. He was a human. Jesus saw uh, people who could not hear and His heart of compassion went out to them. And so you see when we're talking about Christ, we're talking about one who is divine But we're talking about one who is also human. The theologians put it this way. They say that Jesus was the God-man. You see, Jesus was so much man that he got tired. He was so much God that he said, come to me and I'll give you rest. Jesus was so much a man that he got hungry. He was so much God that he could feed 5,000. Jesus was so much man that he got thirsty He was so much God, he said, I got some water. If you'll drink it, you'll never get thirsty again. Jesus was so much man that he went to sleep on a boat. He was so much God that he stilled the storm. Jesus was so much a man that he had to pay taxes. He was so much God, he paid taxes with a coin out of a fish's mouth. Jesus was so much man that he went to a wedding. He was so much God that he turned the water into wine. Jesus was so much man that he wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He was so much God that he said, Lazarus, come forth, and he came forth. We're talking about the divine man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you see, that is a fact of history. But it is not only a fact of history. It says, he, uh, Christ died uh, for our sins. And so now, you see, we see it's not only a historical truth, but that Jesus Christ came into the world to die for our sins. Now, notice it didn't say His sins. Now, of course, you know Jesus had no sin. He was tempted at all point like as we are, yet without sin. He's the only one who ever lived on the earth, and He never sinned. And for our purposes this morning, he is not talking about somebody else's sin. He's talking about our sin. You know, we always want to talk about somebody else's sin, don't we? We always want to blame somebody else for what we do, don't we? I heard about a guy that went into a psychiatrist's office one day. He had a slab of bacon on each ear, had a fried egg on his head. And he said, Doctor, I've come to talk to you about my wife. Yeah, I could do right if it wasn't for that woman I was living with. I could do right if it wasn't for that husband I lived with. I could do right if it wasn't for those people over there that had done me wrong at the church. I, yeah, you, we always want to blame someone else. And yet the Bible says Christ died for our sins. That's, let, let's make it perfect, uh, personal. You, you see, that, that's our problem right there, isn't it? It's our sins. Uh, you see, our sin, that, that's the Goliath that taunts us, isn't it? Our sins, that's uh, the Lady Macbeth that slaughters us, isn't it? Our sins. And so he says, Christ died for our sins. And it reminds us that when Jesus came into the world, 
He came for the purpose of dying on the cross for the sins of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no way for human language to describe just what sin was and just how Jesus suffered for that sin on the cross of Calvary. Nobody ever suffered like Jesus did. Jesus died, but not only just a death, it was a death of the cross. And the word died here, translated, is a word that means a violent death. Uh, Jesus didn't die in the comfort of a room somewhere surrounded by family and friends. Jesus died outside the gates of Jerusalem on a rugged hill called Golgotha. And do you see the Lord Jesus there? as they lay his beaten and bruised and battered body on a a cross of wood. Do you hear the ringing of the hammer as the nails are driven into his hands? Do you hear the ripping of the flesh as the cross is lifted up? Do you hear the dull thud of the cross as it drops into the hole prepared? And his ribcage heaves and his lungs uh, gulp and uh, his bones pull and his muscles shred and his tendons are torn and pain with shoes of fire uh, runs up and down the nervous system of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nobody ever suffered like Jesus did on the cross. But there was more than just the physical suffering of Jesus on the cross. The Bible said he was dying for our sins. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. You see, that day when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus and sin had a confrontation. And the Lord Jesus Christ faced sin at Calvary. And He broke sin's spear. And He shattered sin's bow. And when Jesus cried, it is finished... Heaven shouted, hell screamed, and the earth sang because he breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. That's what God's done for our sin problem. Aren't you thankful this morning for the cross? Aren't you thankful that there on that cross, our sins were laid on the Lord Jesus? You see, it's as if the arms, the the shoulders of the Lord Jesus became a, a, a great altar. And all of the accumulated bundle of the sins of the world were laid on Jesus. It's as if the heart of Jesus became a great reservoir. And all of the putrid, polluted streams of human iniquity poured into the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ endured the fires of the wrath of a holy God. And God burned out His wrath in the person of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus died for your sins and for my sins. And friend, the only answer to your sin problem is the cross of the Lord Jesus. Because you see, it was there on the cross that Christ paid for your sins and my sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. But now there's something else he said there, isn't there? It says Christ, that Christ was that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And then it says, and that He was buried. Now you see, Christ on the cross paid for our sins. But now it says that Christ was buried. Now that's a fact of history too. He was really buried. 
When Jesus died on the cross, it was customary in those days normally to just leave the body uh, on the cross. And uh, sometimes they would burn the body. Sometimes they would leave it there to be devoured by uh, animals and varmints. But because of the religious scruples of the Jews, they allowed a man named Joseph of Arimathea to get the body of Jesus. And we can almost picture there as he takes the nails out of his hand, the spike out of his feet. As they lovingly wash the body of the Lord Jesus, as they wrap it into, into a white linen with, with uh, spices uh, placed in between. And then they take that body of the Lord Jesus Christ and they put it in a tomb. They roll a stone in front of that tomb. They station soldiers there and a Roman seal upon that uh, stone. And somebody said, he's dead. And the calloused Roman soldiers went to the barracks and washed up for Joe Cain Day. And uh, those smug Pharisees got ready to go to their next religious service. And old politician Pilate, glad that he had averted another crisis, says he's dead. And those disciples with tears blinding their eyes stumble down from the cross and they say he's dead. And Mary, his precious mother, with a sword piercing her side, says he's dead. Everybody knew he was dead. They never expected to see him again. They fully expected his body would become a banquet for worms. He was dead. Low in the grave he lay. Jesus our Savior, waiting the coming day. Jesus our Lord. Well, what's that got to do with the good news? Why does Paul specifically include that little statement? He was buried. Oh, did you know that when Jesus was buried, he was not buried in that tomb alone? Now, don't go out and call me a heretic. Hear me on out. Did you know that, that actually I was buried there? Oh, did you know that every born-again believer in this building this morning, you were buried there when Jesus was? Did you know that millions of people were buried when Jesus was buried there? You say, oh, come on now, preacher, you've lost it. No. In Romans chapter 6, verse 4, it says, we were buried with Him. Do you know what that means? you know what the burial of Christ means? you know what the theology of the burial of Christ is? It is the theology that, that, that on the cross we have the, the wonderful teaching of substitution. But in the tomb we have the wonderful teaching of identification. Because you see, when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, what He did on the cross becomes personal to us. And Him being buried in the cross means that we were buried with Him as well. You say, well, what does that mean, preacher? Here's what it means. Oh, I read it this morning again. I love Jeremiah 31, 34. The Bible says that God says in that verse, He said, I will forgive all their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. You know what that means? That means God says about our sins when we're saved, God says they're forgiven. They're buried. They are put away forever. God has forgiven our sins. And then God said, I won't remember them anymore. God says they're forgotten. Well, if our sins have been forgotten, then who keeps bringing them up in front of us? 
One old boy said, he said, you know, he said, every time my wife and I have an argument, she gets hysterical. He said, you mean hysterical? He said, no, hysterical. She brings up every bad thing I've ever done. Sometimes people like to bring up our past sins, don't they? Sometimes we afflict ourselves with our sins, don't we? Oh, dear, dear Bertha Smith used to say a number of years ago that when God forgives us of our sins, He buries them in the depths of the sea and He posts a no-fishing sign. Isn't that wonderful to know today? That's what God has done for your sin problem. At the cross, He put away our sin. In the tomb, He buried our sin. And so that's God's answer for your sin problem. In just a little while, I'm going to invite many of you to come forward and receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior from sin. But now we got that second problem, hadn't we? We got that old death problem. And so, around that little phrase, according to the Scriptures, he wraps two more phrases. That he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen. This is God's answer for our death problem. Because you see, by the resurrection, God conquers death. Three days and three nights, Jesus was in the tomb. He was dead. Everybody knew He was dead. They never expected to see Him again. And then all of a sudden... There is a commotion in Hades. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Jesus preached unto the spirits in prison. Not the word preach, that means to preach the good news of the gospel, but it means to make an announcement. And so the Lord Jesus Christ went walking through Hades, and He made an announcement. Your plan didn't work. I'm coming out of here. And about that time... Not only was there a, a confrontation, not only was there a, a confrontation in Hades, there was a celebration up there in heaven, and they said, He's coming home. And God the Father said, Earthquake angel, go down to that tomb and move the stone away. And at the entrance of the tomb, there was a consummation. There stands old death. And old death says to the Lord Jesus, You're not coming out of here. Millions have come into my prison house, and nobody has ever come out. You're not coming out of here. And Jesus said, Old death, I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. I have conquered. Get out of my way. And up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. That's God's answer for the death problem. Death. Death. Not a pleasant subject, is it? Somebody said death is the subject we spend our entire life trying not to think about. Death. It's not pleasant. In fact, it is so unpleasant we make funnies to try to cover it over. We use euphemisms and we, we joke about it. One of my friends called me some time ago said, Have you bought your burial plot yet? I said, my what? He said, your burial plot. I said, well, I'm thinking about renting one. I'm not going to need it long. (laughs) But if I do die before the Lord comes, Renee, I've decided where I want to be buried. I want to be buried at Walmart. (laughs) That way, Janet will come see me two times every week. (laughs) 
But the reason we tell funnies about it is, it's not funny. Old death is the king of terrors. Old death goes walking through a hospital, walks into a room, deposits its calling card. A baby dies, and a mother's cry is heard. The old grim reaper casts his scythe toward the jet in the sky, and the jet falls, and there is a crash. And old grim reaper walks amid the dust and the debris and the death. Death is like a game of chess. When the game is over, whether you be king or queen or bishop or pawn, you all go into the same box. Max Lucado. Was it not Max Licato who said, death is the bully on the block of life? Did you have a bully at your school? You know, a bully. We had a bully at our school when I was a boy. And one day out there on the playground at recess, I don't know what I did, but I, I, the bully got mad at me. He said, Vines, he big old guy. Vines, I'm going to get you down here on the corner of the block when school is out. I'll tell you, you just scared me to death. All day long, my little old heart, you know, just thump, thump, thump. And sure enough, when school was over, I walked out and I looked down the street. And down there at the corner was the bully. And it's the only way I could get home. I started walking. My little old heart, thump, thump, thump. Thump, 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 thump. And I got almost to the bully. And I heard a voice behind me. Vines, do you need a little help? And I looked around, and it was Donald Bonner, the biggest boy in our school. He went on and played Division I football. He was much of a man. Do you need a little help, Vines? I said, I sure do. And my best friend walked up to the bully and said, Hey, I understand you want to see me in vines. I said, Yeah, I hear you want to see us. <laughs> and the bully stepped aside. And I went on. And dear friend, the good news of the resurrection is I won't have to cross Jordan alone. Jesus died all my sins to atone. When the darkness I see, he'll be waiting for me. I won't have to cross Jordan alone. That's why you need Jesus this morning. That's why you need to get saved. The only way to face death is to know Jesus as your Savior. He conquers death by his resurrection. But now notice... Now, I don't know how long Brother Fred preaches, but I, I told him that you folks have been without good preaching so long that I was going to give you the whole load. Amen. But notice, it not only says that he was raised the third day, it says, and that he was seen. 
And then he gives us a series of the resurrection appearances of Jesus after he was raised from the dead. There's six of them here. There are about ten, perhaps eleven in the entire New Testament. But you will notice here, he, he talks about his public appearances. He talks about his private appearances. And, and uh, he said he was seen of Cephas, that's Simon Peter. And he was seen of James, that was his half-brother. He was seen of Paul. I can almost imagine a testimony meeting if those guys had gotten together. I can almost hear old Simon Peter saying, I, I denied him. And yet when he saw the living Lord Jesus, a whimpering coward was turned into a bold preacher of the gospel. And I can almost see James standing up and saying, well, I doubted him. I didn't believe he was who he claimed to be. But after he saw the living Lord Jesus Christ, the doubting brother became the humble disciple. And then Paul said, last of all, he was seen of me. And Paul could very well have said, I despised. He was on the road to Damascus to persecute those who were following. I despised him. But Paul says, last of all, he was seen of me. I saw him as of one born out of due time. That's an interesting little phrase right there. It really is the translation of just one little Greek word. Ektromati is the word. And it is a word that actually means... A dead fetus. It's the word for abortion. Do you know what Paul was saying? Paul was saying, my religion aborted me and left me a dead fetus on the road to Damascus. But he said, when I had an encounter with the living Lord Jesus Christ, He changed my life and gave me new life. Some of you older Guys here and gals, do you remember back in 1997, a man named Marshall Applewhite out in California? And he and his wife called themselves T and Doe. Do, Re, Mi, Fa, Sol, La, T, Do. And, and they, they formed a little group around them called Heaven's Gate. And Marshall Applewhite taught that when the hail bop comet appeared, there would be a spaceship behind that comet. And that there was a method by which they could elevate themselves to a higher level of existence, get on that, that spaceship behind the comet and go into higher enlightenment. You say nobody would believe that. 38 people followed him in suicide. Now, what is a comet? Well, a comet is just a big ball of frozen dirt and ice. Applewhite had a gospel. All false religions have a gospel. His was the gospel of salvation in a dirty snowball. Marshall Applewhite found living people, and he left them dead. Praise God. Jesus finds dead people, and he leaves them living. And the resurrection not only conquers death, but it changes life. 
And that's what you desperately need this morning. You need Jesus to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, give you a hope for the time of death, make your life altogether different again.